We apologize for the technical difficulties. We pray that you may still receive the message in this podcast. The scriptures read comes from 1 Corinthians 15. Good morning, everybody. I'm Todd, and it is a privilege to be able to stand up here and share from God's word. And we're back in town. Uh, Susan has a surgery this week, and uh, it's a blessing to be with you. It was clear to me in the middle of this week that this passage that Nikki just read um, was just so clear to me to be shared uh, this Sunday and have that opportunity to stand in for Pastor Darren. But I'm going to tell you a little bit of how we, how we got there. Uh, first off, anybody reads books, um, you know, if you're busy, it's hard to fit in reading a book. Uh, for me, I do about a chapter a night or every other night or something like that. And in the last two years... Um, I read two novels, and they're novels that I read 30 years ago. So it was kind of revisiting them, but I didn't remember much. And what I noticed, and I asked my wife about, is toward the end, are they supposed to kind of speed up? The chapters get shorter, the, the action is happening quicker, and, and, it's, and it's hard to put it down. And she said, yeah, that's how a good book is, uh, is written. And it feels like that's the way our world is going, that there's a, a context of history and how we got to where we are, and, and um, you know, of course, None of us was back in history. We kind of read it, and it's passed on to us through uh, stories and oral tradition and in some manuscripts and some history books. And, and a lot of history books are questionable. But we get to where we are, and we experience you know, where we are, and it feels like things are going fast. And probably some of you in this room could say it feels like things started going fast about 40 years ago. Some of you in the room feel like it, it really felt like it was going fast 20 years ago, and uh, many of us can say the last couple of years feels like it's really been going fast, even the last few weeks, to where you don't know what's going to happen in a given week, in a given day, even in a given moment. So I was really struck as I was listening to um, Pastor Darren last week at the end of the, at the, end of the sermon in a prayer uh, mentioned to reprioritize everything, that as individuals, as families, and as a church, we need to reprioritize everything oriented around the hub of really the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, to love God, to love people, to make disciples of all the nations. And I just had been really and meditating on that when the opportunity to preach this week came up. So I immediately said, yes, and here's the passage, and I didn't know how it was going to come out. But in the last few days, God has shown me, and what I'd like to share with you is from 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28, and some things that come out of that have to do with order. It's God to God of order, even as we hear about these stars exploding and, and forming, and we think about the uh, things that we've perceived and observed to form laws of thermodynamics and, and matters not created, or and there's conservation of matter. And there's equals and opposite reactions and all this stuff that we observe about God's created world. It's big and he's a God of order. We'll see some of that order, but also an urgency for the days that we live in. To help us with that, I kind of made up two little coefficients or something, Chad. One is M2E. You know, some of the ladies, some of the people have done the E2M, which is some sort of health and fitness type of program. M2E is, uh, I'll tell you when we get there, okay. Uh, GRQ is the other one, and that, that one, you know, some of you math people might want to make a, 
make a formula for that one, but it has to do with gospel readiness. That's a gospel readiness quotient. It has to do with our feet that are prepared uh, with the gospel of peace. So we're going to talk about some of those things. As we look at that 1 Corinthians 15 passage, 20 through 28, which Nikki just read, you have to kind of zoom out to get context. So you kind of look at the, I was drawn toward the end of the chapter, you know, how it all culminates to the end, and God is all in all. But there's so much more in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with the gospel. If you ask people the gospel, they would say turn to 1 Corinthians 15. So there's a lot there, and we're going to look at some of those chunks. But then, you know, going back even further, 12 to 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about gifts. And chapter 13 is that famous passage about love and faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And we know that our, our faith and our trust in the one who is not seen is going to be realized when we see Jesus. The hope that we have is, is going to be realized as we make it through difficult times and we see our Lord face to face. But that love that God has demonstrated toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That unconditional love that we can never match and yet because of putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receiving that love and the forgiveness of our sins or calling on his name, he allows us to be a conduit of his love. And it's like water, living water, like a fountain that just keeps coming and it never stops. And that flows through us. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is a beautiful passage that talks about some of those uh, descriptions of love. And then goes into chapter 14, which kind of continues the idea of the gifts and says, I wish everyone would prophesy, written by the Apostle Paul. And defines prophecy as edification, exhortation, and comfort to men, speaking the words of God in these days for building up edification, for exhortation. The scripture says this and we ought to do it and for comfort, comfort that comes from God and from his word. But if you go back even further, chapter 10 talks about all of those common experiences of the people of Israel and how those examples and stories and experiences became instructive for those upon whom the end of the age would come. So it's relevant even for us today. But if you go back even further to the earlier chapters of this letter, 1 Corinthians, you find descriptions about our bodies as the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it all moves together and brings us to 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with the gospel. So those first 11 verses of 1 Corinthians 15 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you now stand. That is a statement for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, when was he writing? Before or after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ? After, right. So he's speaking in full... that is proclaimed now stand in the strength of the gospel. The gospel changes lives. So what is it? Uh, by which you also, you are saved. We are saved from our sins by the gospel. The gospel is the good news of Jesus saving us in a way that we cannot save ourselves. Each of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So 
faith and trust in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Son of God, creator of the world, the one who holds all things together, the word, the truth, the way, the life, and we put our trust in him and say, I'm sorry for the things that I know I've done and the things that I don't know that I've done. Please forgive me and come into my life. He'll do it. We call on the name of Jesus, and all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So saved is not a bad because of our sins. Not understand, because some people don't believe in sin, and some people don't like the word saved. So how can you be a Christian without that? So that's why we would spend a couple minutes there to talk about that. The gospel by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word, that message which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Scriptures, there's the D. Christ died for our sins. Jesus physically died. He expired. He breathed his last. They took him down by many proofs. Realized that he was dead. They pierced his side. Water came out of his lung area, and it was clear that he was dead. They did not break his bone. They buried him. He was physically uh, dead. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, the perfect Lamb of God. The, the Old Testament sacrifice is pointing toward the one who was perfect that could settle the score for sin once and for all. And that was Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God. And that he was buried, and he was buried. He was buried in a tomb that was prepared in expedience because they wanted to get it put away before the sun went down. They put him into a tomb that was prepared that was a rich man's tomb. They put a stone in front of it and set a guard. Do you notice that detail? They made sure nobody would tamper it. They suspected that the followers of Jesus can tell a big tale about maybe how he rose again from the dead. So they set a guard over this huge stone that one person could not roll away. He was buried. And that he rose again the third day. You know, when they came, they found that the stone was rolled away. They found that the grave was empty. The grave cloths were on the ground, and the handkerchief was folded in another place. He was not there. He was among the living, not amongst the dead. Jesus was alive, and he appeared to the women first. And then, according to the scriptures, he was seen by Cephas, which is Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for some have died, but most of them are still alive at the writing of this letter by the Apostle Paul. They could tell you. And after that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me. That's Paul. By one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which is with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. First off, just about the gospel of what it is. The D is the death. The B is the burial. The R is the resurrection or the rising again. And the S is being seen by many people. So when people say, why do you believe? We have a firsthand account of people who saw Jesus. Corinthians 15, the first 11 verses, it is emphasized that he was seen more than the other statements. So let's include that in our description of the gospel. The gospel changes everything. There's a man uh, in, a, in our church 
we were a part of uh, 20 years ago at least, a dear man, his name was Larry, and he uh, was a good man, and he cared for his family, but he was without the Lord, and he had all his co-workers witnessing about Jesus. They're trying to get him saved, and, and he, you know, was really wrestling with this. He's mocking it sometimes, making fun of it. He was an electrician, and one time he was trying to get some electric to drop in about clear across this room, and there was one little hole it needed to drop through, and it had to go up and over rafters and through and in between, and somehow he had to work that with a piece of uh, wire to get it to drop down in. It was a near impossible task. And so in that late evening when he's working on this project, he says, okay, God, help me to get through that hole on the first try. And he did. It popped right in there, and it caught his attention. And he's by himself. And then he thought, that is really amazing. And as he's thinking about it, the wire came out. And he thought, oh, no. So he said, okay, do it again. So he did it, and he worked it through there, and boop, it popped right in there, and it did it again. Now, for him, an electrician, that was something that caught his attention, and uh, he, went, he went ahead and uh, told his wife about it. He ended up putting his faith in Jesus Christ. Then he ended up talking to his coworkers, and then all extended family tree and co-workers, and it changed us. He left an impression on us. The gospel will change you, your family, this church, this area. So the gospel. Let's keep going. The next section is 12 to 19 about the resurrection. So first, the gospel. Now this section, the resurrection, verses 12 to 19. If Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified that he raised up, grow them at work. I want to grow pumpkins at work. You know, people have these spider plants and these, these other things that change colors. I want to grow a pumpkin at work. So I'm trying to encourage them to do that. They come out, they, get these, they kind of come out, and they're nice, they break through the ground, and then they start to spread a little bit, and they start to run in different directions, and, and that's really cool. You call them runners. You know, that's not too hard to think of. They're runners. They go out there, and then they get a little flower, and these flowers come. Well, that's, that's what's going to turn into the pumpkin. You know that, Mike, Susie. That's going to turn into the pumpkin. You got that flower, and then there's a little knob after it, and that knob gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and eventually the flower falls off, and they eat them like a vegetable, you know, that kind of thing. We're thinking of an orange pumpkin that turns into a decoration. However it is, that first fruits is the first one that you pick. Now, we bring our first fruits to the Lord. If it's an agricultural society, we're, we're dedicating the first of the slaughtered animals. We're dedicating the first of the vegetables, and in some way giving that as as in honor to the Lord and an offering. We might give it to a neighbor, someone who's in need. We might slaughter that first cow and then give away the meat. However it is, that's first fruits. If we're getting paid in a paycheck, we, we give off the top toward the Lord and his work. And so that's the concept of first fruits. And when it comes to animals or when it comes to vegetables, it has the strongest and the best energy is in those first fruits. And so you can see how it's not the leftover and it's not the least, it's actually the best. That concept of first fruits is what we're talking about here with Jesus Christ himself. In verse 20, now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep, we already talked about, is a euphemism for died. And we know that Jesus physically died, was buried, and rose again from the dead 
and was and appeared to many people for 40 days and nights to prove that he was alive. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. There's where we get the order of things. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first to rise from the dead and never die again. We do have examples in the Bible of people that were raised from the dead. What happened to them? We don't usually hear about it in the Bible, but certainly they physically died a second time. Lazarus being one of the most famous. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead never to die again, but to live forevermore. Hopefully that helps you to think about that, to think about the resurrection, that as people, through faith in Jesus Christ, that point of death is really a translation point where we pass from this existence and continue on to eternity, to live. For since by man came death, meaning sin and death came by the first people, by man came death, by man also came, for as in Adam all die, even so in shall be made alive. So we're destined to die once and then the judgment, as it says in Hebrews. We, we have a life. We don't know how long it is, or rule, or powers, or whatever it is that we're experiencing, that it's not a person, but there's a spiritual dynamic that traces its way to Satan, the devil, and death itself, evil. And it's not necessarily the people but people who are being used in, in those systems. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. When all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. The thing I mention here is the order of things. The, the word for that, uh, things being under him or lined up is hupatasso, which is a military term that has to do with things being in order, like the ranks, like people that are lined up. If anybody's been in the military, you probably had to do dress right dress and all these things and get certain distance apart and get lined up so you can look down one line and it's like you're looking at one person and look down the other way and it looks like you're looking at one person. You can't see everybody behind them because they're perfectly lined up and then there's someone up out in front who's in charge and they salute and they turn and they present everybody to the grand person, whether that All things are going to be lined up under Jesus Christ. And he's going to turn and present these things to the Father. And all will be in all. And what a beautiful that day, that day will be. Death will be done away with. The last enemy is death. And then all will the handiwork of God and creation and be drawn to him. There's the cross and everything that it entails. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which began with his birth and his growing to be a man and growing in favor with, with God and with people and then astounding people with his teachings and, and some of the things that he said and speaking of the kingdom of God and giving his life and then being buried and rising again and appearing to people for 40 days and nights to prove it was him and then giving the commission to make disciples of all the nations and saying, Lo, I'm, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age and ascending to the Father's right hand and be that culmination when God, verse 28. So there's a God readiness quotient I want to share with you. Verses 29 to 34, otherwise received. Evil company to your shame. So this is kind of that urgency and that gospel readiness piece that we have. I call this section the awakening. The 
God's help in that, to pursue righteousness with those who have called on the Lord out of a pure heart, that we need to assemble together, to gather together, to help each other walk with the Lord during the days that we have here. This will but I can share with you some of the variables. The first variable came out at our men's camping trip. We took, and we sat around, whatever it is, sin is a variable that affects my gospel readiness, my ability to be focused and ready to share the gospel with somebody. What's going on in my life is the starting point. And honestly, sin is what affects that in a great way. I had a chaplain one time. He taught me how to be a chaplain. And he said, hey, here's one. And he, and he threw me this little definition that I still remember all these. Is active or passive disobedience to God. He said, tuck that away. I'm glad he did. That was good. That was kind of short. Active and passive. I know and I'm going to do this thing in full knowledge and I'm just going ahead and doing it. We would call that active disobedience or, or sin. And a lot of people think that's what sin is. That's certainly passive disobedience. Or maybe we don't know. Or there's something we're not doing. Some people say there's sin of commission, like you choose to do it, and sin of omission, something you're not doing, and that's sin. I don't know. Maybe that is. Or we may be going along with something. or allowing something to continue. And maybe that's our passive participation in sin that is disobedience to God and it affects people so it's disobedient to God and it affects people in a bad way there are always consequences to me about the days that we're living in is it is driving us to pray maybe more than ever and that is so exciting to call out to God filled with his spirit pleading the blood calling out for Healing, which I, I hear they don't want you to say on social media anymore. Healing. God heals. And we call out for healing. And healing comes in many ways. And sometimes it comes through the wonderful thing of modern science and how God has prepared nurses and doctors, medical professionals to help use certain things to help, help facilitate healing, which is centered with the and have our own personal time before we enter into the day. That will jump that quotient really high. So prayer, and by way of encouragement, that was one of the first things that popped into my brain earlier this week in thinking about getting a chance to stand here before you is, is how great a day of prayer this is, and that is powerful. Well, there's two other things I would mention, and maybe there are other variables, but one is activities, and that really has to do with how our time is consumed. How ready are we to share the gospel of peace with somebody is affected with our time. It's something that gets our mind off and thinking of what we're talking about right now. It's something that consumes time. So as we are entertained, we are putting our, our, our brain into neutral, so to speak, our heart, our spirit into neutral, allowing it to be filled with something, which could be a wide variety of things, and we're spending that time unpurposefully, unless there is a time of separation and just... How time is consumed is a positive thing, or it can be literally you can reprioritize those things in light of the days that we're living in. And the last thing I would say is who you grew up with, who you work with, who you have shared training experiences with, or, or certain events or projects, it all starts adding up. Family members, distance family, identify some of that stuff, which might be a relationship from 15 years ago, someone looked at you the wrong way or told you something or you got wronged and you never forgot about it. And it's been bothering you ever since. And you yell at your 
person 15 years ago, you know, get over your stuff. We got, that's, some, that's some worthy time. Hey, I humbled myself. Isn't it your turn to humble yourself? And they don't do it. It's about your heart, and did you do what you needed to do?